Xi and Putin. The world is watching closely now that Chinese leader Xi Jinping touched down in Moscow for a meeting with Russia's Vladimir Putin. Ukraine is on the table. Whether Xi Jinping can broker a ceasefire before the West, but on the backdrop of China's reported weapon sales to Russia, questions arise. Will the meeting really call for peace? And what about the arrest warrant out on Putin? That's over alleged war crimes in Ukraine. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. All eyes are on the high-profile visit unfolding in Russia right now. Chinese leader Xi Jinping touched down in Moscow Monday to meet with Putin and on the agenda, Ukraine. If coming out of this meeting, there's some sort of call for a ceasefire. Well, that's just going to be unacceptable because all that's going to do, Mike, is ratify Russia's conquest to date. The West has been deeply skeptical of China's motives, noting Beijing has refused to condemn Russia and provided it with an economic lifeline. That's as other countries heap sanctions on Moscow. Xi Jinping's visit comes on the heels of the International Criminal Court issuing an arrest warrant for Putin. That's over alleged war crimes he committed in Ukraine due to the forced relocation of thousands of children from Ukraine to Russia. It suggests that China feels no responsibility to hold the Kremlin accountable for the atrocities committed in Ukraine. And instead of even condemning them, uh, it would rather provide diplomatic cover for Russia to continue to commit those very crimes. As for what Xi and Putin's meeting signals to the West, uh, they want to find ways to give the impression that this is part of the peace diplomacy. And of course, most importantly, um, the, the thing that Xi Jinping had not been willing to do, which is to speak to Zelensky, um, it, it appears this will then take place um, after the, 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 the visit. This comes after Xi pushed Saudi-Iran peace talks to the forefront, an effort to secure his bid in the international order as a peacemaker. But those talks for peace come on the backdrop of reported weapons from China to Russia. They know that this is a threshold crossing event, um, particularly the warnings that you've seen from, from the Europeans, um, but, but also from the United States. This would lead to a slew of sanctions. It would antagonize dynamics uh, further. There would be a real cost to being seen in Europe as an enabler of security threats to Europe in such a direct way. As the West's threats of sanctions and secondary sanctions rise, Xi Jinping continues his diplomatic dance. Back to the International Criminal Court's ruling. The European Union is calling it a game-changer. European Union High Representative Joseph Borrell commented on Monday after the court charged Russian President Putin with war crimes in Ukraine. If uh, President Putin travels to one of the more than 130 countries who have signed this international treaty, he should be immediately arrested. Russia is not a signature of the treaty. Joseph Borrell is de facto the foreign minister for the European Union. With the high-profile visit between Xi and Putin front and center, we hear from Gregory Copley, president of the International Strategic Studies Association, on what all this means. So Chinese leader Xi Jinping is in Moscow. He's visiting Vladimir Putin. Why is this such a big deal? He now goes uh, to the Russia-Ukraine dispute, where he has credibility with both Kiev and Moscow, which is something that the United States does not have. And he's in a position, as both of the leaders of uh, President Zelensky in Ukraine and President Putin in, in Moscow have agreed that the PRC's peace proposals had merit and were, were worth discussing. 
Well, uh, you and I know that looking at the actual proposal as it has come from Beijing offers nothing new and nothing tangible or substantive uh, for either country at this stage. But it does give them the excuse to sit down and negotiate. Now, if President Xi can translate that into several, such as a prolonged ceasefire or the start of a new negotiating regime, then he will have gained enormous prestige and the United States will have lost it. And on this kind of backdrop of potential peace talks, there are reports of China's giving weapons or ammunition to Russia in this Ukraine conflict. So what message is being sent there? What's maybe really happening here? Well, I think uh, Beijing has been very careful uh, about not to be seen to be giving too much in the way of, of warfighting material to Moscow. And, and I'm not sure, in fact, that Moscow would benefit that much from whatever Beijing might offer, other than perhaps better uh, unmanned uh, aerial vehicles, drones. And Gregory, speaking of this potential peace deal or ceasefire that Xi Jinping might be able to broker between Russia and Ukraine, what might we expect from the U.S. and allies? Well, the U.S. and, and its allies will attempt at all costs to undermine that and to insist that Ukraine keeps fighting the war. Uh, and that could include some dangerous levels of escalation. We certainly are seeing some of the Eastern European former Soviet satellite states like Poland uh, and the like increasing their supplies of lethal weapons into, into Ukraine. And even the United States has committed so much funding, equipment and to a degree manpower into Ukraine that uh, the, the reality is that Ukraine is on the edge of no longer being a proxy Western war against Russia, it's being seen as a direct war against Russia. And if that breaks through some magical line, uh, it could become a declared real war between Russia and the NATO states. And that would be really, really dangerous for all concerned. Lawmakers around the globe are taking aim at TikTok, but another app could soon be making waves, and it's TikTok's lesser-known sibling. CapCut is among the hottest apps in the U.S. right now, and it's owned by TikTok's Chinese parent, ByteDance. The free video editing tool simplifies making content and memes for social media, offering templates, filters, and visual and audio effects. Users say the polished videos it creates are more likely to go viral on platforms like TikTok, Meta, Instagram, and YouTube. And that popularity shows, with CapCut boasting more downloads in recent weeks than TikTok and more than 200 million monthly active users. CapCut brings in revenue from subscriptions and advertising, as well as charging users for cloud storage and certain extra features. It's less of a moneymaker for ByteDance than TikTok. Instead, its job is to grow popularity for the company. Despite the app's impressive growth, the global climate for Chinese-owned apps is turning hostile. TikTok is already banned in India, along with TikTok, Shine, WeChat and Viva Video. While the US, EU, Canada and Taiwan have outlawed the app from government-managed devices. That's largely over concerns that the app's global user data could end up in Beijing's hands. CapCut says it stores data in the U.S. and Singapore, the same as TikTok claims to. But as of now, CapCut has avoided the hot seat over its data handling.
With more and more eyes on TikTok and CapCut, their Chinese parent company ByteDance is also being pulled into the spotlight. NTD's Sam Wang has more. In the last few years, ByteDance has repeatedly shown allegiance to the Chinese Communist Party. At the same time, Douyin, the Chinese version of TikTok, is accused of working with Beijing's internet police to censor users. What's more, ByteDance's hiring criteria gives CCP members priority. According to a list obtained by the Epic Times, many managers and key persons in the companies are party members. Despite its close ties to Beijing, one of ByteDance's own programs has also been banned. In 2018, jokes platform Neihan Duanzi was permanently removed due to what the CCP called vulgar content. In response, the founder issued an apology and pledged to cooperate with authorities going forward. The company also hired more people for a certain internal department, which Insider says functions as a censorship machine. That's to remove content that doesn't align with Beijing's narratives, all in an effort to express your loyalty to the CCP. In 2018, China's Central Communist Party school held a group CCP admission oath with ByteDance employees, where they pledged to sacrifice it all for the party and the people and never turn away from the party. Sam Wong, NTD News, New York. An unprecedented interaction between China and Taiwan. A former Taiwanese president will visit China next week. The trip will mark the first time a current or former Taiwanese leader has visited its communist neighbor since the end of the Chinese Civil War in 1949. Ma Ying-jeou served as president before current leader Tsai Ing-wen. As a senior member of the island's opposition party, Ma is still influential, and his visit to China is getting a lot of attention. A spokesman for Ma called it an effort to ease tensions between the self-ruled island and mainland China, a main goal of his party. Though it's been criticized by Taiwan's ruling party as being pro-Beijing. Ma plans to visit China for 12 days, beginning March 27th. No current Taiwanese officials are expected to join the delegation. Ma will visit five cities, but Beijing is not on the list. His office declined to say if he would meet any Chinese officials or regime leaders, including Xi Jinping. But people familiar with the matter told local media the heads of the cities and provinces he will be visiting plan to meet with him. They're not mayors or governors, but rather Communist Party secretaries. A nuclear threat from North Korea Monday. Regime leader Kim Jong-un called for his country to stand ready to launch nuclear attacks at any time. He says it's to deter war, but South Korea says the North is the problem. Let's zoom in. In comments carried by state media, Kim accused the U.S. and South Korea of expanding military drills involving American nuclear assets. State television today released photos showing him overseeing the North's latest missile test with his daughter. It's the latest in a flurry of weapons tests by Pyongyang in recent weeks as the U.S. and South Korea continue a month of their annual combined military drills. The North has reacted furiously to the drills, calling them a rehearsal for an invasion against it. Colonel Isaac Taylor, a spokesman for U.S. Forces Korea, says the drills are routine and purely defensive. South Korea responded, saying North Korea's nuclear weapons development has escalated tensions on the Korean peninsula. BernieBot, it's China's answer to ChatGPT, a new app from Microsoft and a product of artificial intelligence. Users can throw questions at the Microsoft program to receive quick and often interesting answers. To keep up, Chinese tech company Baidu unveiled its much-anticipated AI chatbot Ernie on Thursday. But investors weren't impressed with Baidu's use of a pre-recorded demo and the lack of a public launch. 
During our initial testing internally, we experienced the capabilities of ErnieBot, and I feel that it's not perfect yet. So why are we unveiling it today? Because the market demands it. Baidu said Ernie would only launch to a certain group of users from Thursday on. That's in contrast with ChatGPT, which was made free for full public use. The Chinese firm did showcase Ernie carrying out math calculations. It also spoke in Chinese dialects and generated a video and images with text prompts. But it seemed to fall short of expectations. Baidu's stock, listed on the Hong Kong market, closed over 6% lower after the presentation, cutting $3 billion from its market value. The founder of Taiwanese microchip giant TSMC is showing support for the U.S. That's as it works to slow China's advances in the cutting-edge industry. But he's also voicing concerns about some unintended consequences. Here are the details. Speaking at an event in Taipei, TSMC founder Morris Chang expressed both support and reservations. He says he's concerned about the global supply chain and the reversal of globalization. There's no question in my mind that in the chip sector, globalization is dead. Free trade is not quite that dead, okay, but, but it's in danger. Chang said that he's alarmed at the possibility of increased prices and reduced ubiquity of chips that power the modern world. When the cost goes up, the uh, pervasiveness of chips will either stop or slow down considerably. Mm -hmm. So we're in a different game. Beijing has recently ramped up diplomatic and military pressure against Taiwan. It considers the island part of Chinese territory and hasn't ruled out the use of force to take control of it. The Chinese Communist Party has never ruled Taiwan. The dispute has raised concerns about the fate of Taiwan's chip plants if China blockades or attacks the island. Taiwan produces the majority of the world's most advanced chips. In a surprising move, a prestigious European research institute is breaking off ties with a top Chinese academy, closing a partnership of nearly two decades. One scientist calls it a scientific decoupling. Let's take a closer look. The Paris-based Pasteur Institute has suspended its partnership with the Chinese Academy of Sciences. It also announced its withdrawal from a joint research institute in Shanghai. According to the journal Nature, the decision was made last December, following a year-long dialogue between the two sides. The Pasteur Institute was founded over a century ago by Louis Pasteur, the inventor of the pasteurization method and a founding father of microbiology. To date, 10 scientists at the Institute have received the Nobel Prize. Since 2004, the French organization has co-led the Pasteur Institute of Shanghai with China, focusing on infectious disease research. The facility studied viruses like Ebola, HIV, and COVID-19. The Shanghai facility is now under Chinese supervision, and a Pasteur spokesperson said the name will change. Reasons for the breakup are still unclear, but a biologist working with the Shanghai Institute says it does potentially signal the end of an era of scientific partnership. Since the COVID-19 pandemic, Communist China has come under fire, both for concealing the origins of the virus and harsh containment measures on its people. Meanwhile, the West is seeking decoupling from the regime in multiple domains, as Beijing deepens ties with Russia and ramps up threats against Taiwan.
Coming up, the Biden administration seemingly poised to sign a pandemic accord with the World Health Organization. But what would it mean for America? The Biden administration is, in fact, intent on surrendering our sovereignty to give them. We spoke to Frank Gaffney, vice chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger China, for his take on what's happening. More details after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. The Biden administration appears poised to sign a pandemics accord to the World Health Organization, or WHO. We spoke to Frank Gaffney, vice chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger China, about why the U.S. needs to withdraw from the WHO, plus what the new amendments would mean for America, and why he says U.S. sovereignty is at stake. I want to zoom in on these reports that apparently the Biden administration is secretly negotiating with the World Health Organization to kind of have these new amendments come into play. So can you kind of lay out what is happening here or what would be happening here? The World Health Organization is an international entity that I think most Americans never heard of uh, before COVID. It was instrumental in the early days of the COVID pandemic in lying to us about the nature of that virus, where it came from, and what we should do about it. And when you put all that together, it translated into the needless loss of a million American lives. It's hard to imagine that given that track record, when it was doing all that on the basis of it being an advisory body, that anybody in their right mind would think it's a good idea to give that outfit the power to mandate what is not only a pandemic, but what is a, quote, public health emergency of international concern. And then, worse yet, to be able to mandate what any country in the world must do in response to that. So again, just to harken back, if you didn't like the fact that you were told you had to take inadequately tested vaccines, these jabs of mRNA gene therapy, experimental gene therapy, no less, you're almost certainly not going to like what they're able to do if they get these additional powers which the Biden administration is, in fact, intent on surrendering our sovereignty to give them. And Frank, you mentioned kind of the ties between the WHO leadership and China, especially in terms of this past pandemic. Can you kind of expand on that? Because it often gets murky. Yeah, this is a, a sort of inadequately understood example of the kind of uh, elite capture as the Chinese call it, of, um, in this case, an international organization. They selected a communist from Ethiopia, Tedros Gerbrasis, not a medical doctor, by the way, a doctor nonetheless, uh, as their choice to run the World Health Organization, which he did for five years. They then got him reelected for another five-year term. He is beholden to them. He is aligned with them. 
He regards the Chinese communist model as uh, literally the, the proper approach to pandemics, um, despite the failings, despite the disastrous consequences of masks and lockdowns and social distancing and remote learning and, as I say, inadequately tested vaccinations that are required. And then digital passports of various kinds that are used to assure that you have, in fact, conformed and to punish you if you've not. All of that is part and parcel of the so-called China model and what Tedros is intent on pushing on the rest of the world at the direction of his masters in Beijing. And Frank, to your point, we did see in the early days of the pandemic, the WHO even praising China for, quote unquote, being transparent, right? Even now, there's still so much debate over what even happened in the beginning, if we're even going to get access to figuring that out. But with these new powers, you mentioned America's sovereignty would be at stake. What would these new powers do exactly? But let's say that um, Tedros Gerbrasis thinks that, um, oh, I don't know, gun violence in the United States is a public health emergency of international concern. Well, having so designated it on his own authority without any say-so from the U.S. government, and I'm looking forward to a U.S. government that wouldn't be in favor of that as the Biden administration would be, but he would then be in a position to say, well, what we need to require you to do in the United States, given that there's all this gun violence and it's a public health emergency, is we need you to uh, collect those guns from Americans who have them. Well, there goes your Second Amendment right under the Constitution to keep and bear arms. But that's the kind of thing that I think would be involved in the surrender of sovereignty that uh, Gerbrasis and his Chinese masters have in mind, and that the Biden administration is only too willing to go along with. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.